Project A Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to today's podcast episode of the Project A Podcast. My name is Daniel, I'm a senior associate at Project A sales team and I also work on the topics of revenue operations, or short uh, RevOps, uh, with a little team inside of Project A. Guest today is uh, Mr. Evan Dunn from Syncory. Um, yeah, Evan, why don't you introduce yourself first of all? Tell us a bit about yourself, you know, what's your background, what do you do, maybe what does Syncory yeah, do? Sure. I am a growth marketing lead at Syncory. Uh, growth marketing is a weird, uh, if you're not familiar, it's a weird hybrid of demand gen, lead gen, website, SEO, you know, email, kind of cover a lot of bases, but ultimately, you know, tasked with pipeline. Um, prior to Syncory, I was at um, Airwallex and prior to that, Convoy. So been in the SaaS world for quite a bit. And prior to that, I was leading product development and AI startup, uh, analyzing television shows, connecting it to viewership data. It was super fun, but quite a bit early. Um, and then Syncory, um, if you're not familiar, is um, the ultimate tool for unifying customer data across your go-to-market stack. Um, has a patented stateful sync, which maybe we'll geek out about later, but it's the only, <laughs> the only good way to um, deal with three or more systems staying aligned with your contacts, your accounts, your opportunities, etc. And uh, pretty unique technology and a really fun time to be in this space. As you know, there's just so much happening with the um, economy um, globally here in the U.S. Uh, with SaaS and tech companies just really struggling to find efficient pockets of revenue creation. And um, that's something we address quite head on. Cool. Um, let's Before we go into the nerdy stuff or before we maybe talk about revenue operations and revenue and operations um, in itself, so to speak, let's maybe, um, or first of all, maybe the question for you, how would you define in your own words what revenue operations is? Um, very simple terms. Yeah. Never having worked in the job, big caveat, right? Um, I've been around operations teams adjacent to them, supported by them, support them emotionally um, as a shoulder to cry on. The, uh, <laughs> uh, the biggest thing I see having led to the creation of re revenue operations, the problem that I think is pretty universal to teams that are creating a revenue ops title is the, the fragmentation and the silos within their go-to-market team. Leaders are looking down on their go-to-market teams thinking, Why is everyone running in a different direction? Why are so many of my go-to-market pillars, maybe it's CS and marketing and uh, are really struggling or sales and CS is really struggling. Why are they so unsupported? And I think the heart behind it is, well, if we, if we give one team, could be one person, but hopefully it's more than one person. If we give one team central visibility, uh, control, mandate for efficiency across the go-to-market resources, um, then we'll have a more cohesive um, story in the market. We'll have a clearer um, understanding of our pipeline, right? It's big. And um, obviously, a simple definition would be, well, it umbrellas, marketing ops, sales ops, CS ops, maybe even finance ops, sort of. Um, maybe even this sort of 
new component that PLG is really pushing of like bringing user data from the warehouse and from streaming data sets into your go-to-market stack, right? Um, I think some people struggle with that because they want certain ops teams to stay separate, right? And, you know, marketing ops has a lot of issues, sometimes rightfully with being umbrellaed under RevOps. Um, but I think we still have to capture the, the heart behind this movement and elevate it um, because there are revenue ops teams who don't really fit the description I just gave. And that's unfortunate. If you have this title, if you're in this seat, it should mean that you are sort of the go-to team, the go-to resource for aligning and enabling all of the go-to-market function. Um, I think it's really important for leadership to really empower these teams because giving more cohesion to your go-to-market teams will reduce churn in your go-to-market headcount. It will um, make everyone more successful. Um, it will reduce the number of tools you buy because sales leaders won't be off buying something that doesn't get deployed or, you know, marketing leaders won't go crazy wild west buying a thousand tools. Um, and it'll, you know, mean more successes and we can get into that a bit more detail later, but there's a few different angles of the definition. I think it really centers on the need to unify and centralize go to market as a, as a concept. The, in, the need to, so to speak, unify the go-to-market um, uh, go departments is not new, though, per se, right? I mean, why is it then that uh, head of, uh, head of uh, uh, revenue operations was the number one uh, on the list of LinkedIn's uh, fastest-growing yeah. jobs last year? Uh, and we also invested in Growblox uh, at the beginning of this year. So maybe the question, what is it about the cohesion of these departments that is so relevant in the past two or three years? Why is it becoming You're so right. It's now? it's not new um, in some senses, right? The particularly, I think the B 2 C, like e-commerce, has been, you know, looking at CDPs and unifying concepts for quite a while. I do think B 2 B, B 2 B SaaS, B 2 B tech, has really struggled to find the best sort of template for organizational structure, right? Um, You know, I've seen a lot of teams where they're, they're unicorns, they're multi-billion dollar valuation. They have 40 salespeople, 30 marketers, um, 30 CS people. I'm, and I'm not exaggerating. They have one operations person to support all of that, right? That's a hundred headcount relying on one person. If that person leaves, the entire thing crumbles. Um, so I think... This go-to-market operations, revenue operations in all its facets hasn't been leveled up to, hey, executives, leaders, we need to invest in this so that sales can do its job. And par partly that's driven by the heavy adoption of sales tech, obviously MarTech. Um, that's been around for longer. So marketing ops teams tend to be pretty advanced, right? They'll have data analytics resources inside and um, but then there's CS ops, which has gotten almost nothing, right? Like still using SQL to get context on user, user on a ticket. You're still swiveling between four tools, right? So I think really the pressure on new tech adoption across the go-to-market teams, um, you know, it's just, it's bubbled up a lot of silos. And then all of a sudden, 
recently, last year or so, maybe even more recent than that, leaders are now looking at net dollar retention and go to you know reduction of CAC, burn rate, right? Go to market efficiency. And they're realizing like where there's so much thrash and waste in across my go-to-market teams, what's the answer? And ops people have come out of the woodwork in droves saying it's revenue ops, right? It's, you know, like here's the new discipline and it starts with pipeline and handoff to CS. And it starts with these like really crisp processes um, and tooling and data. So that I think is, is the new movement, right? Mm. Um, Whether or not centralization, unification of go-to-market functions has been on the mind is one thing, whether it, it hasn't worked with any other model. And so I do believe that with the right leverage and, and um, ground up push and top down adoption, revenue ops can be a sufficient answer. You just mentioned the headcount on the, in the, from the op uh, operations person in, in the one company. Um, now let's assume some somebody's listening and he's saying or she's saying hey, we don't have a, we don't have any um, revenue operations department yet we don't have any people staffed on that uh, how how can you go about it you know is there a rule of thumb for x amount of um, uh, sales and marketing people there is x amount um, of revenue operations people how do you go about it and you know you yeah. just uh, briefly touched on it but what are actual tools you know to um, yeah. help improve efficiencies yeah. Well, let's use, Daniel, let's use the lean methodology, right? And, and look at the problem first. And what I would ask someone listening who fits your description, because it is true, there are many companies who still don't have RevOps, don't even have any sort of go-to-market ops in any flavor, right? What I would say is, well, how are your sales marketing CS teams currently supported? Do you have IT that manages the tools they use? Business systems, titles, business ops, business, you know, whatever, data teams that support the data flow into those tools and out of those tools. Um, uh, what I would advocate is that you sort of look for ways to measure waste, manual time spent with data cleansing systems, how slow CS is to follow up on a ticket, how difficult and sloppy the handoff between sales and CS is. These are where you see the lack of operational support show up in go-to-market efficiency. It's kind of like sluggishness and waste across your go-to-market teams, do your best to quantify those, put some numbers to it. And that's what you bring to your leadership to say, I think we need someone, right? And we need a team, we need a function, we need a set of uh, people, processes, and tools that fix this. Because even if we invest a million bucks in this organization, this RevOps organization and its tooling, you know, we're coming out net positive because I just showed you we've got five, $10 million of, of waste. So you just mentioned, you know, uh, data people or like data playing a big role, obviously in revenue operations, because it's underlying, it's underneath the go-to-market stack that collects data, you know, through the uh, use of tooling in general. Um, so how would your ideal revenue operations for like a really basic B2B uh, company. What is your, how is your revenue operations team built, built up? How do you, how do you do yeah, it? Yeah, that's do a you great question. Get salespeople, five, and then some data people, and then you just throw them together into a pot <laughs> and hope for the best, or how do you do it? You know, I think that requires a lot of thought, and I think it's actually very novel 
to think about the data layer beneath the go-to-market stack. And partly, you know, um, the, we've been doing a ton of soul searching at, at Syncery and discussions with ops leaders and data leaders and executives about this concept of a customer data layer or a customer data in B2B. I've been asking around, do you have a data model for your, you know, B2B customer data? And pretty much no one does. Um, I've been asking who owns customer, who owns the data layer across the stack, right? And, and you know, people either come at it with a B2C lens and say marketing, which if you're in B2B is kind of funny, right? You're like, you know, marketing doesn't own customer data. <laughs> They're just out doing their own thing. Um, the, the, the biggest innovators I've talked to in this space, um, Rosalind Santa Elena, follow her stuff on LinkedIn. She talks a lot mm -hmm. about how RevOps brings data to action. Molly Bodensteiner at Deal, she's a Syncery customer, um, talks about how, um, uh, you know, she doesn't own data. She gets served data by a data team. There's a few different ways I think you could deploy a model uh, where RevOps and data either collaborate or hybridize into one function, right? I just talked to someone um, at a tech company, a couple hundred people who got handed the sales ops team, right? He's a head of data. And he was telling his executive team, like, you need data resources to go attack, go to market efficiency problems, right? And that's really the gist. Andy Mowat and Tony Holbein of Growblox, um, hey, Tony, you're awesome, <laughs> uh, both, came on the Distributed Truth pro, uh, podcast, Secrets podcast, and talked about how they built data functions, data operations into their RevOps teams, right? And obviously this is near and dear to Syncery because we're sort of the dream tool for, for that setup. Um, and, you know, Pedram Naveed, former head of data of High Touch, um, Joe Rice, uh, he's coming on the podcast publishing this week. These, these are data people, Richard Makara, who's in your neck of the woods. These are data people who, um, are saying things like, Hey, we need to attach to business value right, right now. I don't know if it's worth for your listeners sharing that, like data science is kind of going through a reckoning. Mm -hmm. Um, it's maybe it's just here in the U S but very highly paid for a long time hugely picked up by the big tech companies here like the the total compensation for data science within a couple of years of experience can get really high yeah, yeah. you know you, you can go to like a three-month course come out making 90 100k here um that's changing and i think rightfully so and what i would say to those data people and this is what pedram navid all these other folks i mentioned have been saying is you know go talk to your head of sales go talk to your head of marketing Ideally, there's an ops person you can go collaborate with, but if there isn't, go talk to the CEO, ask them what they need to see from a reporting standpoint, a data standpoint, what do they need? And this is, this is it, right? This is what RevOps and the data layer all need to come together to solve is what do we not know about what's happening in our go-to-market that we could fix, address, improve, right? And that's a reporting business intelligence question. Um, what do we know is working pretty well that we could help you double down on? Maybe we see that if we go upsell a customer who's had a certain amount of activity in the product, it's really profitable. Well, okay, let's grab that user data from the warehouse, bring it using Syncery, wink, wink, 
all the way to marketing, sales, CS, do customer health scoring, sales triggers, right? Marketing activation all along this slew of customers who are best fit for, for increasing net dollar retention, right? Those are the kind of things that data and RevOps, and any, anyone who really has the heart to, to create sort of a task force, right, internally, um, can fix. You don't need the revenue ops title. It just helps put a label on what we're talking about. We're talking about customer data ownership, tooling across the go-to-market stack and go-to-market efficiency as a chief mandate, right? That That's really what revenue ops crystallizes for an organization. But but if you don't have that title, you don't have that resource, don't worry. Find the inefficiencies, bring the data people in, bring whatever ops resources you have in, bring your leadership in and say, here's the problem. What are our best ideas for solving it? Yeah, the underlying task is still the same. Interesting. Um, you just met the, mentioned the data analysts, data scientists uh, layoffs in the US. Is that definitely then uh, a way for them to kind of like attach to the business again and kind of like make use of, of, of the hype of RevOps, but also the hype of the problem that you've just described? Let's not call yeah. it RevOps, let's just call it underlying problem, you know, or... Mm -hmm. um, can you actually just go into a RevOps team as a data scientist, a data analyst, and just start doing RevOps? Or how much sales and marketing knowledge do you need? What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very helpful. A good place to start would be to study the metrics that venture capital um, firms are requesting of leaders, right? CAC, um, payback, you know, LTV, CAC payback, um, churn, NDR, NRR, ARR, right? Like all those fun acronyms that, you know, everyone throws around like they're obvious, right? Um, if you figure out how those are calculated, data people are excellent at math and imagination. I'm sure it'll be quite clear where this data might be stored. Or you go ask a couple people, figure out where the data is stored, figure out how to build a consistent report, right? But there's also... I think a component many data people miss around go-to-market, which is, you know, Salesforce, for instance, comes with a very ugly set of data structures that a data architect would peel back and say, well, this is difficult, you know? Um, like, if I want to make a report of contact, opportunity, and account all together, I have to take it all out of Salesforce? Why? You know, that kind of thing. And Salesforce is, you know, acquired Tableau basically to to try to solve this and to get more money from its customers. The, if you study the data models in HubSpot, Salesforce, NetSuite, um, you know, Outreach, SalesLoft, both from a naming conventions and an entity relationships and the APIs, what they have available, it'll become pretty clear, you know, how you can help unify these processes. Um, Yeah, so there's, there's, I absolutely, if you're in a data role right now, I do think one way, it's not the only way, but one way to effectively shore up your career is to go get a Salesforce license, is to go get a HubSpot certification, right? Uh, and when I say license, I mean certification for Salesforce, is to study those data structures and study um, those metrics. It, it, that We're talking a, you know, a few weeks of investment to be able to go into at least like a RevOps analyst role, right? Interesting. 
Um, I'm, I'm pretty sick and tired of, of the term AI, to be honest. But I mean, when talking about RevOps and, you know, underlying data, you know, beneath the go-to-market stack, we obviously have to talk about like possibilities of AI, especially when it comes to forecasting, you know, the, the business reviews, et cetera. How would you see like in general, maybe some thoughts on the role of AI or the role it could potentially play yeah. some years down the road in RevOps? Yeah, AI is fun. Um, you mentioned it used to lead the development of AI models. The biggest issue is clean data. So you can see how that plays out difficult for um, go-to-market go market operations. There's a lot of AI hype, obviously, around ChatGPT and generative AI. And most of the time when we're referring to the go-to-market stack, we're going to be talking uh, descriptive or analytical AI, as in how can we interpret large volumes of data across a large variety of data sets. But still, you need to think about well, what fields are being pulled? How much data is there, right? You want to do a predictive model forecasting. You need a solid amount of history at a nice fine grain to do it well. Because if you do like <clears throat> just monthly and you're a three-year-old company, you've got 36 data points, right? That's nothing. That's not enough for a forecast. I mean, sort of, you can make a line, right? But it's not going to be, it's not going to be anything meaningful, or effective, really, and it's not going to account for seasonality and those sorts of things. Um, I think what I would encourage people to focus on first and foremost is what's your data model, right? How do you view a customer? The thing about AI is it, it really fails if you uh, don't know what the purpose is out of the gate, right? Mm. So like the thing about generative AI right now is Everyone wants to use it for creating copy, right? Uh, when we're talking about go-to-market systems, we're talking about analytical or descriptive AI. There's a lot of hype right now around generative AI, and you don't want to confuse the two. Generative AI is what you'd use to make email copy. It's not what you'd use to like forecast or predict. You'd use analytical or mathematical, statistical AI. I mean, all AI is relying on math, right? AI is basically just math at crazy scale. Um, obviously depending on what you're trying to do with it, there's different data collection pieces and all that. But the most important thing in any machine learning engineer will tell you is data quality, right? If, if you're dealing with data volume and data quality, if you're dealing with low volume or messy data sets, you can't do anything interesting. Um, now, first and foremost, like we've got to be careful, right? We don't want to throw data scientists at experimental projects that shouldn't be experimental. I was at a unicorn um, where I was handed a data scientist and told to give them a project. Now, this person was wonderful. This person had a PhD and was basically a, you know, doing science projects that weren't directly accurate. And, you know, my, my first question was, well, can you help with like data quality throughput between our marketing automation and our sales CRM and all that stuff? And they said, no, I can't work on that. And I was like, that's the problem I have. I do not have a problem of needing a lot of powerful math, right? So, you know, there are AI products for like, hey, let's go dig through your CRM and all that stuff. But what I struggle with is we still haven't solved for unified data sets across the go-to-market stack, right? AI absolutely should be applied once the go-to-market stack is ready. But I guarantee you in 95% of B2B tech companies, you know, 
you've got messy data problems that are way bigger than the opportunity because it is greenfield opportunity potential of AI. So it's with, as with most things, right? Get, get your fundamentals right first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Yeah. And honestly, that's what I love talking to Tony about um, his approach with Growblox. It's very much like, how do we tackle the fundamentals of operations in a way that lets you predict your business? And there's no fluff and nonsense to their, their message and their story and their, their, um, their capability there. Definitely. Cool. Let's maybe get back to the, to the present days. Um, so let's assume I'm, I'm a data guy inside, inside a company and I you know, decide to pursue the, the, the path of a RevOps person uh, and become head of RevOps you know, in my company. Uh, what would you say, what are the current challenges that maybe uh, I would be facing? What is like for, for the time being, like maybe organizational challenges like politics or, or like operational yeah. challenge, challenges? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've actually met several people who fit that exact description. Um, Winston Liu at Vitally.io, probably be happy to chat with anyone. He's a great guy. Um, and I, I don't know exactly what Winston is facing, so I won't speak for him. But basically, what, what I see happen quite a lot is younger, under 100 uh, employee tech companies will bring in either a RevOps or a data person to build, to create a warehouse, right? A data warehouse, shove everything into it, clean it up and go. Now, I'm just going to get real for a second here. And this is very much sinkery story is we don't see that work. <laughs> it doesn't work for a few reasons. Obviously, warehouse is useful if you got a ton of product usage events you want to collect. And, you know, we won't come up here and say, oh, sinkery is going to be the one tool you need for analyzing and automating product engagement. But if you've got NetSuite, Salesforce, HubSpot, you know, outreach, I just described a ton of companies, right? You have four systems that need to tell the same story about a company, like an account, right? Like project A is in here in each system and it looks the same and it's deduplicated and it's merged. And here are the contacts attached. And every time, you know, Salesforce has a closed one, automatically create a NetSuite billing account, right? And automate those pieces. Um, the warehouse approach, and this is, this is important for data people because they're, they're, they're trained to work with warehouses because there's tons of flexibility and scalability there, and that should be respected. It's also not necessarily the best fit, right? And it, it is very difficult for many data people I've talked to, to even think beyond the realm of the warehouse to what's possible, but the the warehouse doesn't work for go-to-market stacks because just think about the lag time in batch jobs between Fivetran pulling the data out. You've got it now in Snowflake. DBT a few hours later runs its model update, which does require a ton of compute costs for it to run. DBT is probably Snowflake's greatest revenue source right now. Um, and then you've got to push it back on another batch timeline, right? Via reverse ETL to your go-to-market systems. You've got hours in that, even if you're upgrading on five training, paying quite a lot, right? And it's unpredictable costs. Data stacks can become a huge burden for the, the, the organization. So it's important, I think, for data teams that they move into these go-to-market roles to keep an eye on the like, best fit and meaningfulest approach to 
a problem, a workflow, right? Um, there's cheap uh, and and weak ways to solve certain things, and data people are biased against those, while ops people are biased towards them. Ops people are very much like create a new field, put a bandaid on it, right? Like let's just keep going, sort of patch the ship up and keep sailing, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It just can create problems at scale, right? Whereas data people are like, let's build a big structure, build a tight data model, you know, data governance, data contracts, right? And those can be really painful for the speed requirements of revenue creation teams you know, on the go-to-market side. So feel that tension, manage that tension, and don't necessarily try to shove it all in a warehouse and, and go from there. You'll find yourself on the hook for massive amounts of work, low ROI, massive costs. And now you're at risk again of getting, you know, of getting replaced because they just can't afford it, frankly. Uh, like, uh, uh. Well, beautiful last words, I would say, Evan. Um, maybe, maybe one quick question, one last quick question. What is maybe the one trend? Obviously, you've just mentioned it, but you also threw in reverse ETL, for example, which could be a way, you know, to... Uh, synchronize your data throughout all your platforms. What is maybe one or two, uh, what are the one or two main trends uh, for the next two or three years inside of yeah. RevOps? Yeah, I think that um, the, what is the minimum viable stack is the question RevOps needs to answer. And I think everyone is asking without calling it that, right? The minimum viable stack, the minimum viable data we need about customers across our systems in B2B and the minimum viable stack we need to collect, analyze, distribute, and act on that data, right? For instance, the number three um, most purchased tool in Q4 of last year, I think just in the US, maybe globally, was data enrichment. Who doesn't have multiple data enrichment tools, right? I think partly it's because it's very hard to judge these tools. It's very hard to determine how good their data is Does it cover all the fields? Do we like it? Have we tested it? Have we piloted it? Were they nice in the buying process? So you end up with like data enrichment is just a whole vast landscape of like big vendors and tons of small pilots from small vendors who become big vendors. And then a new crop pops up and, you know, like chomping at the heels, right? And it's very difficult to know, like if you're in RevOps co-op or any of these communities, you're seeing questions around which data enrichment tools are the best for which region of the world all the time. So what are more importantly than, you know, I can't, I can't tell you a winner there, but I can say is <clears throat> you need to be wrestling with which tools do you truly need in order to pull this off. And the second component of that is uh, what is the best fit approach to that data layer, right? Because you can't ignore the data layer. Your CRM can't be your source of truth, right? Um, You, it doesn't work to use a warehouse. Reverse ETL doesn't actually work. In fact, both of the top reverse ETL players, HighTouch and Census, are no longer reverse ETL. They are data activation platforms. They're basically CDPs. Um, and then also CDPs don't work because they're not actually dedicated to unifying first-party data. If you're familiar with the background of CDP, this makes sense to you. If you're not familiar, we've seen a lot of B2B companies shopping for CDPs because they don't want the eight tools required to run a modern data stack in a warehouse, right? Just to unify data across their go-to-market stack. So they go Google CDP and they end up with Segment 
Well, Segment is really good at tying anonymous visitors and users to recognized. It's not really good at integrations across the stack. It's basically a modern data stack in a box. So he, here's the what I'll leave you with, and it's a bit of a shameless pitch, but what our founders created with Syncery was this stateful, multi-directional sync, meaning that Syncery actively listens to changes in the different connected systems. And based on the logic you put in, no code, um, you know, reconciles the records across all systems. So you could have 10 connected systems. You could have 10 Salesforce CRMs connected to Syncery. That'd be a lot. But, uh, you know, we have a customer who's doing like three Marketos to one Salesforce, two Salesforces to one Marketo, right? Like only Syncery can really pull that off because of this patented technology, right? And, you know, we often get like, well, new tools are not the answer. New tech is not the answer, but this is why people make startups, right? Tony is out building Groblox because he saw a pain, a problem. He built some great tech to fix it. That's what Syncury is doing too. So that's a bit different than your trends question. But, you know, Daniel, thanks for having me on and uh, super Thank fun. you. Thank you, Evan. Thanks for waking up so early. Uh, Evan is based in Seattle. Thank you very much for, for taking the time. Evan, how, the, how can the people reach you if they have any, any questions or yeah. want to know anything about Syncury or about you? Um, I'm Evan Dunn on LinkedIn. On Twitter, I'm uh, Evan P. Dunn. Um, yeah, Syncery, we've got a newsletter, podcast, community, customer data automation community. Um, love to chat. Love these conversations. So anyone wants to connect and dive deeper, happy to chat. Cool. Evan, thank you very much and wish you a beautiful day and also the listeners. Everyone have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys.